We're still on page 953. Actually, 952. We're still on page 952 this morning. Who knows what amen or amen means? So let it be, right? It's an agreement. When we sing that, when we say that, we are saying, we agree. Let your kingdom come. We agree with your word, Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Page 952 in the Black Bible. Verses 18 to 31. Let me take a moment to pray. Our Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe. Give us minds to understand. And give us a love to take and to do and to respond to know how to, from your word, put it into action in our lives, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. May we be found faithful as we seek to not only become listeners, but doers of your word. And it's in Christ's great name we pray. Amen. I'll read the passage as we come to it. I'm not going to read it in length at this moment. But don't worry, we will get the entire 18 to 31 in. Middle school gym class haunts me to this day. I was always picked last. Some of you may find that hard to believe. Yeah, right. When I look back on it, that, that middle school was, it was filled with shame and embarrassment. See, basketball as much as I enjoy watching and love playing, it's just not my sport. Now, football is my sport. You give me some pigskin, we're good to go. You give me a basketball, it just doesn't work. Middle school never worked. I'm terrible at basketball. There, there's probably some truth to the fact that white pastors can't jump. <laughs> I heard Matt's pretty good, though, Pastor Matt, so that he may blow out that... Uh, that perception. But when it comes to me, I am no good at basketball. I remember those times being picked late and last in school. They were always painful. For some reason, here's the weird thing, for some reason, every single gym class, what do you think we ended up playing? It's like the the gym class teacher decided, I'm not going to actually bother teaching you. I'm just going to have you do basketball because it's low maintenance. You go get the ball, you go play, the gym teacher goes back in his office and does whatever he wants. So there I am, picked last again, and I clearly remember this one game. I was going for a rebound. For some reason, in classic style, the ball just missed my hands, and of course, where where do you think it found? Right in the face. No, that was bad enough, being picked last, getting smacked in the face, because it really hurts. I don't know if you've been hit with the basketball in the face before, it really hurts, but here's the kicker. The very next play, rebound, boom, face. At that point, I'm just like, I give up. I'm done playing basketball. Now, that was middle school. And and let's be wrong, the middle school mockery is real. It's fierce. It makes me wince to that day because I can visualize that ball still coming at my face. Now, I think I'm a little better at basketball today, but not much. Sarah still always beats me in horse. Always. 
beats me. Have, we, have, you, have I ever won? Probably not. There's good reason why I picked last. But here's the interesting thing with God. When he builds his team, so to speak, he always picks first the ones the world picks last. Did you catch that? God always picks first the ones the world pick last. He picks the awkward. He picks the clumsy. He picks the no-skill players. He picks the weak, the foolish, and the lowly of this world. Do you realize, church, that His ways, His purpose, His kingdom are upside down compared to the ways of the world? So we can confess with the author of Scripture who says God's ways are truly not our ways. Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, is seeking to bring clarity to how God's kingdom relates to the world. The Corinthians are a deeply ingrown church. And they're also, an ingrown church also has a propensity to become a worldly church. So they're quarreling and arguing with one another because they're more captivated by the spirit of the age than the spirit of God. And Paul writes to them and says, this is not how God's kingdom works. Paul tells them they need to flip the script. In order to live as saints together in unity, they need to understand how God's kingdom works and how we fit into that kingdom. So this morning, I want to just focus on there's two broad themes, two points. The first one is this. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. His ways are not our ways. God turns things on their head. The second point, which we'll get to in a little bit, is this. It's really a question. What is our place in God's upside-down kingdom? Where do we fit in? Because we need, as a local church, as individual followers of Christ, we need to know how we fit in in God's kingdom. So those two main themes, God's kingdom is upside down, and where do we fit in that upside down kingdom, drive us to ask really this question, how are we to live in God's upside down kingdom? So the second point, the question, when we answer that will be the application, where do we fit? But we begin by looking at God's upside down kingdom. Look with me at verses 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 25. The Apostle Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, 
and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's kingdom is upside down. Christianity is foolish. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. See, you, this is Bible 101. There are only two types of people in this world. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are saved. For those who are perishing, this is foolish. Why would you waste your time? To those who are being saved, this is the power and wisdom of God. The well-known atheist Christopher Hitchens, who has since passed a few years ago, wrote a book called God is Not Great. In it, he says this, Religion comes for the period of human prehistory where nobody had the smallest idea what was going on. It comes from the bawling and fearful infancy of our species and is a babyish attempt to meet our inescapable demand for knowledge as well as for comfort and reassurance and other infantile needs. He says, today the least educated of my children knows much more about the natural order than any of the founders of religion. Christianity is foolish. It is babyish. It is infantile. Our faith in general, Hitchens writes, is, he says this, faith is the surrender of the mind. The idea is how many people have you heard when you walk in the church, you leave your mind behind? Faith, Hitchens says, is the surrender of the mind. It's the surrender of reason. It's the surrender of the only thing that makes us different from other animals. And then he says, out of all the virtues, faith must be the most overrated. Faith must be the most overrated. For Hitchens and countless others, and maybe even for some here, religion, particularly Christianity, comes from our infancy as a species. It's immaturity. It's babyish. It's childish. It's foolishness. Faith surrenders the mind. Belief requires a surrender of reason. Faith, faith is overrated. This is the foolishness of the cross to those who are perishing. But... But for those who are being saved, the cross of Christ is the power of God. The cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. Paul in Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes this gospel. Christ's death on a cruel Roman cross and Christ's resurrection from the grave is the power of God. And that power of God, Paul says, will destroy the wisdom of the wise. 
You know what Paul is saying? There is a reckoning coming. And the way of the world that says we are wise and Christians are foolish and follow an infantile babyish faith, Christ says, my gospel will destroy that thinking. Paul says, where are the wise? Where are the writers? Where are the debaters of this age? Paul is looking towards the future and he says they are nowhere to be found. Where is Christopher Hitchens right now? God and his kingdom is upside down. He takes what the world says is wise and shows that that is foolish. He takes true biblical wisdom what the world sees as completely babyish and childish and infantile. And he says, I have chosen the path of the cross. And in the cross, the foolishness of the cross, there is power and wisdom. And it's done through the proclaiming, the preaching of Christ crucified. This preaching, this proclamation, this Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. That is what transforms the wisdom of the world. That is what destroys that wisdom. That is what is true power. That is what is true wisdom. The preaching of the cross. And that is why as we're pursuing who are we as a church, that is the one non-negotiable the preaching of the cross. Our bruised, broken, and bloody Savior upon the cross for our sins who died in three days miraculously. And that, you want to see power? Take a dead man who was crucified, who bore the weight of our sins and the wrath of God, who in three days rose again. That is power. And that is what the world sees as foolish. But church, let us be fools for Christ. This preaching of the cross, it pleases God. It is the pleasure of God. Do you want to do what pleases God? Preach Christ crucified. There's so many churches today that are seeking to appeal and be cool and hip and they throw out the cross to do so. God is not pleased with that. You need to accept the fact that you, are, as you follow of Christ, are an exile. You are going to be seen as foolish. We need as a church to accept that and stop trying to be cool to everyone. Christianity is not cool to the world. But it is the pleasure of God when the cross is preached, whose pleasure are we pursuing? The world's or Christ's? This cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the rest of the world. And this cross, this foolishness, is our very foundation. It's why we're here this morning. One commentator says this. He says, the cross turns reality upside down. Weakness becomes the circuit through which strength is conveyed. And what seems to be foolish, this message of the cross, becomes the vehicle by which wisdom is transmitted. 
So power is not displayed fundamentally through amazing signs and wonders, but through a crucified man. A person robbed of all dignity who was exposed to the most degrading death conceived of in the Greco-Roman world. God's kingdom turns reality upside down. The wisdom of this world is turned on its head when we proclaim Christ crucified. The power of this world is shown to be powerless in light of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the risen Christ. Jesus' life, His death, and resurrection turn everything on its head. Brothers and sisters, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The foolishness of the cross is the power and wisdom of God. It is preaching of the cross that saves. And God's foolishness is wiser than all the wisdom of this world. God's weakness is stronger than all the power of this world. I like how one author describes God's kingdom. He says this, It's an upside-down kingdom where leaders are servants, neighbors and enemies are loved, and poor widows give away half their money. Under the lordship of King Jesus, humility is exalted. The first shall be last. Offenders are forgiven 70 times 7, and ethnic outsiders kneel down to help half-dead strangers lying in a ditch. This is God's upside-down kingdom. And we, church, are called as saints together to live and serve and worship in this kingdom. So how do we do it? The second point, which is the application point, how do we fit in? What is our role in God's upside-down kingdom? Paul addresses two things, so two sub-points to this. The first one is this. We must consider our calling. If we are to live faithfully into God's kingdom, His upside-down kingdom, we need to consider our calling. Look at verses 26 to 28. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. God calls a people and He picks the ones who the world picks last. He picks them first. God calls the foolish, the weak, the poor. God picks those who are not. We are the ones who are not. We are the weak, 
the foolish, the poor. We are the ones who are not wise according to worldly standards. We are the ones who are not very powerful. We are the ones not born of nobility. We are the foolish. We are the weak. We are the low. We are despised of this world, and we should be most thankful. God's picking of the least is purposeful. This is how God operates. Way back in Deuteronomy 7, as God is preparing the people of Israel to enter into the land, He tells them why He has chosen them. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, He says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And this, listen to this. The Lord says through Moses, It was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to His fathers. God from the beginning chooses the weak, the insignificant, the foolish ones. He chooses those who are not. And it's all founded upon His covenant love. I've made a promise to you, God says. You are my people. I am your God. I have chosen you because of love. So church, consider your calling. Weak, foolish, low, those who are not are the chosen of God who is strong, wise, and powerful. The second thing for to see how we are to live out in this world, this upside-down kingdom, is that we are to consider our calling in Christ's kingdom and God's kingdom by boasting in the Lord. Look at verses 29 to 31. Paul continues by saying, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now we generally don't see boasting as very positive, do we? In Christian circles, it's generally seen as pretty, pretty negative. And to be honest, there, there's truth to that. If we are boasting in anything but Christ, then boasting is negative. But if we're boasting in the Lord then that's good. Let me actually even say, we should maybe be developing habits, spiritual habits. You think of prayer and studying the Word and reading and memorizing. When is the last time you thought about building in boasting into the habit of the Christian life? We need to become better at boasting. We don't boast enough about the right things. And let me be clear about this. We are always going to be boasting about something. 
We are always boasting about something. So what does it mean to boast? The idea of boasting is that we're talking about it. We're taking pride in it. We're rejoicing and being glad in it. We have confidence in it. It's what we're about. It's what we celebrate. It's what we make much of. So what are we boasting about? All of us boast about something. I'm probably safe to say that most of us don't boast enough about the Lord. There's only one in whom we boast. We can't boast in the Lord if we're boasting in ourselves. If there's any inkling in your mind that you are saved on your own merit or your own worth or your own value, then we are boasting in yourselves because Paul says elsewhere that dead man, I'm paraphrasing significantly here, dead man don't boast. Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But we still do. And this is why we need to learn to boast well. To boast in Christ. See, such boasting is the wisdom and power of God. What are we to boast in? Paul already says, I preach Christ and Him crucified. That, church, is what we are to boast in. Not ourselves, our own accomplishments, or our own failures, because you can do both. You can stick to your accomplishments and praise yourself or praise others. Or you can take your failures and run with them and be consumed by them. There's only one in whom we boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast that we are in Christ Jesus. Boast in Christ the wisdom of God. Boast in Christ the power of God. Boast in Christ our righteousness. Boast in Christ our sanctifier. Boast in Christ our redemption. Our boasting is proclaiming Christ crucified. This is what we are to proclaim. This is what we are to preach. This is who we are. This is what we do. We are to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim the Christ crucified. It is the cross we boast in, a bloody and bruised and broken Savior. And Christ's shame becomes our glory. Christ's cross becomes our crown. To boast in the Lord is to have confidence, joy, and pride in the cross so we can glory in the old rugged cross. Let's return to our main question. How are we to live in God's upside-down kingdom? Brothers and sisters, if we are to be a people who live as saints together, united together, then we must, in God's upside-down kingdom, boast in the Lord. We must preach Christ crucified. We must have confidence to proclaim Christ. Now some of you may be like, well, I just don't think I'll do a good job or they're a lot smarter to me or I can't handle it. I remember going during college. We went to Millersville University and I was studying all this stuff about how the Old Testament, we were looking at carbon dating and R14 and all this stuff that I, I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But I remember we're talking about all that in college and the whole point of the professor is we can show that Christianity is, is makes sense and is rational and is smart and it's worth studying and, and there's value in that. But I went to Millersville University as a first year Bible college student having just learned this stuff, still not really understanding it. 
And there I am going up to a someone, a student, and I say, can I have a questionnaire with you? I want to question you about biology. I know nothing about biology. And here I am thinking I'm going to actually challenge this guy because I took one class in Old Testament that covered it, the arrogance that I had. And I went through this entire survey with him, and I come to find out God just so happened in order to humble me, he was a biology major. He took me to town, and I had no response. And reflecting upon that in my dorm room a little later, you know what struck me? I never mentioned Christ. I never mentioned Christ. There's nothing wrong with talking about biology and answering questions that people have, but it misses the point if that's all we do. I failed to preach Christ. I failed to boast in the Lord. May we never do that again. Boasting in God's power and might. If you are weak and foolish and you are fearful and you don't think you can share Christ with your neighbor, then you are just where God wants you to share Christ. Because when you go trembling and stumbling over your words and failing and messing up everything, but Jesus is glorified, that is exactly what God wants from his people. Church, there is no excuse to say I can't share my faith. If you have been saved by God, if you have been transformed by Christ, then you and I are to boast in the Lord, to declare His greatness. Who do we proclaim? Who do we boast in? We are always boasting. We are always preaching. We are always proclaiming. Who is it? Are we boasting in the Lord or are we boasting in something else? Let me end with some old school Lecrae. Some of you are probably like, who's Lecrae? Christian hip-hop artist. He has a song called Boasting. With every breath I take, with every heartbeat, sunrise and the moon lights in the dark street, every glance, every dance, every note of a song, it's all a gift undeserved that I shouldn't have known. Every day that I lie, every moment I covet, I'm deserving to die, I'm just earning your judgment. I, without the cross, there's only condemnation. If Jesus wasn't executed, there's no celebration. So in times that are good, in times that are bad, for any times that I've had it all, I will be glad. And I will boast in the cross. And I will boast in my pains. I will boast in the sunshine, boast in His reign. What's my life if it's not praising you? Grace Chapel, what is your life if it is not praising our God? Consider your calling. We are the foolish. We are the weak. We are the low. We are the ones who are not. But in this topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom of God, God chooses what is foolish and weak to shame those who are powerful and wise. God chooses the proclamation, the preaching, the boasting of His Christ crucified to transform the world. As we boast... We boast in the Lord. 
We proclaim Christ crucified. And as we proclaim Christ crucified through the good news of the gospel flowing out of our lips, the world is turned upside down. God shames the wise. He humbles the powerful. So brothers and sisters, accept your weakness. Accept your foolishness. Accept that you are the one who is picked last every single time, but accept and believe the fact that you are the one God chooses. And because God chooses you, you have everything you need to destroy the wisdom of the world, to lay waste to the foolishness that is in this world. Brothers and sisters, how do we do this? We boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim a Christ who is crucified. We proclaim a Christ who is risen from the grave. We proclaim with hopefulness and joyful hearts that Jesus Christ is alive. And church, that changes everything. Let us pray. Our God, you and your ways are truly not our ways. You take everything that we believe, everything that we understand as the world presents it, and you turn it upside down. For those who see our faith as foolishness, for those who see our walk as baby-ish and infantile and childish, we praise you that you have chosen the weak, the foolish, and those who are not. And by choosing us through us, through us faithfully boasting in you, we will destroy the foolishness of this world. So Father, help us to see that we are weak and that there is no power in us, but that all power, all might, all strength lies in the one who in power and might sent his son to die. And in power rose his son from the grave. And in glory unites us with him. So that we may declare, proclaim, and boast. You, Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. Help us to boast proudly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.